We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 413 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian, and today we may be talking World Cup, but it is also the 123rd birthday of Football Club de Barcelona. Well, happy birthday, Barca. Yeah, that was, uh, I've seen a lot of that on Twitter and stuff like that. It's really kind of been interesting to watch the, looking back throughout history, because there's just so much of it, and it's hard to have a beat on everything that's happened with this club. Yeah, I, I do notice, though, that most of Barcelona's history that I keep seeing in all of these photos, maybe it starts with Cruyff, which in theory it kind of does. When Cruyff takes over as as manager, it wasn't even easy going at the beginning, but he figures it all out. And then yeah. Barcelona starts to have European success, and that's where people find that the, the real history of the club begins. But certainly it goes much, much, much farther back than that. But we unfortunately don't have time to go over the origin story of FC Barcelona. Maybe I'll have something on a YouTube channel or something like that in the next month or so. But we do have to talk about the World Cup because Barcelona, that being FC Barcelona, have more players at the World Cup than any other club, believe it or not. For all of the Gerard Piquet has retired from the national team and now retired from full football or the fact that Catalan players playing for Spain, it's a whole thing. Yet again, Barcelona still have more players than anybody else at the World Cup. And at the moment, too, we are two plus, I'll have to say, because for those who are viewing now or, or listening now, the group with England and the U.S. and Iran, that might already be decided, too, by the time you're hearing this or listening to this, likely when I got it edited. So at the moment, though, while we're recording this, we're talking Netherlands, Qatar and Ecuador, Senegal in Group A. That Those matches are currently going on with Netherlands up at the moment. So, again, things are always changing and there's no way I could possibly record a show without overlapping with some kind of game or some kind of football between the recording and editing process. Um, yep. And speaking of that, too, I just want to thank everybody for their patience because I know I think eight days is the longest it has been since I got a show out in, I want to say, two and a half years, something like that. It wow, was either okay. right before the pandemic or, or, or as the pandemic is having eight days, quite a bit of time. So I hope you missed me. But yeah, Emil and I are back for this one. So let us begin with that World Cup update with Spain. And there are seven, well, we're going to go through basically all the players for FC Barcelona plus Messi at the World Cup. And we're going to go through the score lines and, and try to basically give a thought or two on each game or each score line or something that stood out in whatever it is. So we do begin with that 7-0 over Costa Rica. Alba, Pedri, Busquets, Gabi, Ferran Torres all started. Gabi became the youngest ever player to play in a World Cup match at 18 years and 110 days. Fun fact. 
2022, Spain became the first European side to name two teenagers, that being Gabi and Pedri, of course, in their starting lineup for a World Cup match since Bulgaria versus England in 1962. So in that match, wow. Alba assisted on Asensio's 2-0. Alba then won a PK, and Farron finished it for the 3-0. Torres then got the 4-0. Really bad Costa Rica defending, by the way, but good composure by Torres. Torres and Pedri exited in the 57th. Alba swapped out for Balde, who comes in the 64th, and Busquets left too. Gabi scored Spain's fifth with a wonderful outside of the boot volley. Spain's youngest ever goal scorer at the World Cup, obviously. Mm-hmm. Nico Williams has also been very impressive, I think, as a super sub. And yep. maybe the reason why Ansu is not having any minutes. But we will talk about that on the second show this week. So put a pin in that on Ansu Fati. And it does look like Nico has those minutes on the right side as well as uh, instead of Ansu coming in on the left. And then putting that together with Spain's other result, and that's a 1-1 draw with Germany. Ferran Torres had another wild miss in that one. Busquets and Pedri played the whole game. Alba off for Balde again, just as the goal was scored. But I got to say that Spain were kind of losing some of the control when Koke came on for Gabi and Gabi went to the bench. Yep. So Spain, this is the big topic. These are the big players we're talking about here because that's the most Barcelona players available on any national team side. So yeah, Emil, of all the names I said, Torres, Alba, Pedri, Gabi, where do you begin? I mean, I think it's Pedri and Gabi. They are... I guess we can probably just remix so much of what we've said about these guys, you know, week in and week out or month in and month out. It is astounding just how not just good and talented they are. I mean, there's certainly that, but like how confident and calm and assured, irrespective of, you know, stage or circumstance or things like that. I mean, they are, I mean, kind of the, the, I don't know, the, the platonic ideal, I suppose, of a, of a mid-pair, midfield pairing that, you know, that I could think of, you know, for players that age, because it boggles the mind that these guys are actually going to grow and mature and somehow get more savvy and more intelligent and better understand what's happening around them. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think the other question is being asked, I have nothing to add to, to Pedro and Gabi. I mean, Pedri... I was, when I made the predictions, hedging my bet, like, oh, you know, this could be another one where I think everybody already knows about Pedri, yeah. but hey, Pedri's one of Spain's better players, like he is for FC Barcelona. And now he's 20, so people can stop saying the teenager thing because he just turned yeah. 20 last Thursday. So now he's just a 20 year old, really, really, really good young player. And of course, I, I think that people kind of playing up, we'll get to Jeremy in a second here, but with Musiala and with Pedri and with Gabi, there was that picture of those three and everyone mm-hmm. you know, going crazy. And there are times, I think, when hype is right. Like yeah. Musiala, as a Kool-Aid, I take nothing away from him. He has been awesome, as well as, again, Pedri and Gabi. So in that game, Germany and Netherlands, and by the way, Memphis Depay and Frankie de Young, again, this is live time stuff. Netherlands have taken a 2 nothing lead over Qatar due to the efforts of Memphis Depay and Frankie de Young there. So again, we'll get to de Young in a second. But yeah, and then I think moving and shifting to Gabi, from Gabi and Pedri to Ferran Torres and Jordi Alba, you know, Ferran Torres has been exactly, not say what we expected of him, but with the news coming out that Barcelona took Ferran Torres potentially over Danny Olmo, Danny Olmo has been good in this in this situation. And yep. he probably even maybe would have been cheaper. He might have been 45 instead of 55 or 40 for RB Leipzig instead of the 55 paid to Man City for Ferran Torres. But when it comes to Ferran Torres, yeah, that miss against Germany, you know, not getting the goal in that big, big moment, even though ironically enough, he his what last two big, big goals came against Real Madrid in El Clasico. And then for the Jordi Alba, Alejandro Baldi situation, it's in complete inverse of Xavi's Barcelona because Alba is a player with experience, the player that Luis Enrique wants. And the way that, you know, and I, I think it, I, this is difficult because I think smarter people than me are really breaking down the Spain tactics. 
this Spain under Luis Enrique is a bit more on the front foot even than yeah. FC Barcelona is. And so being on the front foot just gets you even more of the good stuff of Jordi Alba yeah. because you're not defending the way that Barcelona have to defend. And even though it is so many of the same faces, Jordi Alba, again, Luis Enrique does a better job of minimizing his issues and complementing what he does well, especially in the final third for Spain. Great. And then when Alejandro Balde comes on, again, I don't really blame him for, uh, it was a bad touch and he had some fault on that goal for Germany, but certainly Germany had started to rev up the pressure. They had made their own subs and it was just an inopportune time for Balde to check onto the field at that moment because I think you know, Jordi Alba is capable of that same mistake and that same opportunity. So yeah, for Ferran Torres, yeah, it's hot and cold as expected, but now the rest of the world gets to do the Ferran Torres experience that Kool-Aid's have been doing all year. And for Jordi Alba, I, I think the question of, is he revitalized? I mean, I don't know. I, I think that Luis Enrique Spain is, is again, continuing to bring the best out of him. I'm not saying he's not a great player. It's just that he's for Barcelona as opposed to Spain. He just gets called up for Barca. What he makes is not equal to the production in the way mm-hmm. that being called up by Spain is equal to that production. And it's a financial thing about Barcelona. Yes. So kind of unpacking what you were saying. I think, yeah, Luis Enrique's approach is, I think you said front-footed, more front-footed, which I think there's a lot to. And it's just more direct, I think. Particularly, I think, like, as you said, at this stage, this vintage of Jordi Alba, I think is best suited to that because I don't know that he's particularly well suited to defending. So yeah, in that sense, I think he's really well cut out for it. There's an interesting observation that I've made, completely anecdotal, of course, but uh, just in watching uh, Ferran Torres against, you know, as a part of the Spain team, and even just as a part of this year's Barca team. But I feel like even though the, the stuff that we complain about, you get a little annoyed with in his game with Barca. I mean, by and large, it's still present when he's when he's with the Spanish team. But I do feel like he, it, it seems at least, like he's shouldering less weight when he's with the Spanish team. Now, maybe it's just a relationship with Luis Enrique. Maybe it's, you know, just the combination of teammates that he has or whatever it is. But, and I do feel like even this season, the um, the angst and sort of the, the genuine sort of almost feeling like he was, you know, about to explode when something goes wrong, isn't as pronounced with with Barca. And I think that might be a little bit too, because the team is just simply better. But I mean, it's nice to see him scoring goals. And I mean, I I would like to see him net, you know, one or two more, because I do think irrespective of how you get them, if he can come back from a World Cup, especially if Spain make a run to semifinals, the finals, I mean, who knows, you know, win the thing. And you come back with three or four World World Cup goals and either a gold or so you know silver medal you know to your name. I I feel like it does both in the eyes of the world, but also internally has to really catapult your sense of what you can achieve as a player, and it has to be a monumental confidence boost. Which I feel like with Ferran has been probably the biggest the biggest problem he's had. I think has been confidence. I mean, there's also, I guess, clinical execution, but uh, but it also seems like the crises of confidence have occasionally hit him as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, then moving on to Germany, mm-hmm. where there's none of the report on the Barcelona side. I already gave the compliment to Musiala. And their their comeback loss to Japan, that 2-1, one of the, the games of the tournament, along with the 1-1 with Spain. So Germany, part of... I mean, I kind of said this, right? That you have the only matchup with, with two former World Cup champions in this group stage, that being yeah. Germany and Spain. So that was kind of going to be the group to watch. That felt like the group of death because Germany's results in the, the Nations League and all that stuff have not been great. So they were just in a, they dropped down a little bit. And so you were able to get that matchup. Now, again, Barcelona player-wise, Ter Stegen just on the bench and he was never going to play ahead of Neuer. We talked about that plenty. And Neuer has been Neuer good when he's needed to be. And then when, <laughs> when Germany fall apart against Japan, I mean, there's nothing Neuer, Neuer can do about those. So shifting gears to France with a bit of optimism. 4-1 against Australia. Dembele played 77 minutes, assisted on the 3-1 that Mbappe scored. One of the rare goals in the tournaments, by the way, there was an accurate cross. This one being a header from Mbappe. We have not really seen many of those. Yep. And then Koundé came on in the 89th minute. And then the 2-1 win over Denmark. It was a brace from Mbappe. 75 more minutes from Dembele. And interesting note here for France, eight of France's last 14 goals conceded at the World Cup have come from set pieces. So more than half have come from set pieces. Now, little fault is given to that of Dembélé because we're really focusing on Dembélé and Koundé here. Koundé playing right back, by the way, against Denmark for France. And Koundé, I mean, he's been good at right back. And it's one of those questions, I think, that we'll see how the rest of this tournament plays out because France has already booked their ticket to the next round. So I think that conversation with Koundé at at right back is kind of ever-evolving. But at the moment, I think the focus should be on Dembélé here because Dembélé has been consistent, he's been healthy, and he has just kind of gone out and worked well with Mbappe, and he's done well. Mm-hmm. And really, there's like it's one of those things where Dembélé has been the player at the level that we expect him to be. Let's put it that way, right? It's like yep. he's there's A tier players, and that's Mbappe. A bunch you can say about PSG. Mbappe's an A tier player. Yeah, Dembélé is proving himself. And for Barcelona, we've seen it this year, and I think now with the World Cup for France as a B tier player, and he's shown up and he's playing like a B tier player. And there's no drama. There's no nothing. It's just, here's what we expect from Dembélé, and here's what we're getting out of Dembélé. And He's to me, just been excellent. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing, right? That Dembélé's issue is inconsistency. And if at a whole World Cup, he's consistent, I leave nothing. I mean, there's still plenty of time to go, but I leave the World Cup saying uh, nothing. But okay, those are all positive things from Ousmane Dembélé at this World Cup so far. I think the question of consistency is strange. You know, as you bring it up, uh, it, it's... Absolutely. That's his, if he can iron out any, you know, lingering inconsistency issues that he has, I mean, he's 
whatever, he is an A-tier player. I mean, if he's doing that every single game, then he is, if not Mbappe good, he's one of the very best players in the world. What I, What's interesting with, you know, we talk about consistency in a World Cup, and it's an odd sort of situation because I don't know how, like, if a month and sort of six games is enough to build consistency, or is that a... Did you get hot? You know what I mean? Like, is that, you know, did you find the the right streak? And because especially when you're out in the middle of, I mean, literally out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's nothing familiar, nothing. So you might as well be playing in, in like outer space, you know, particularly with this tournament. And so I, I do think it's very much, I don't know how much of, I mean, obviously there's domestic form that you can bring in, but I don't know how much of the club football experience and the, whatever you would consider normal life translates to you know, whatever this is that's going on in Qatar for five or six weeks. So, but irrespective, I mean, it's great to see him, whether we call it consistency or raising his game or whatever, vibing with Mbappe or whatever it is. I mean, he's he's looked excellent. I mean, particularly, I thought, even particularly before France scored against Denmark, you know, even for a good portion of the first half, I mean, I think I thought he was better than Mbappe in that, mm-hmm. in that stretch. And... You know, he didn't really fall off much. I mean, he he started to taper a bit in the second half, and then they took him out. But he was, yeah, he was phenomenal all game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's one of those things where, well, he doesn't get the headlines because it's a World Cup, and I'm going to likely have a YouTube video out later this week about stock risers and things like that. And I think a lot of it comes down to who scores goals. Like that's the thing about the World Cup, right? Yeah. Like if you're the player that comes up in the big moment, because that's the whole thing about the World Cup that it's the most pressurized situation that the football world does have for you. I mean, we're, we're listening to the things. I mean, you and I are both foreign Americans, but between America and Iran, I mean, the, there's so much going on yeah. off the field. I mean, even the, the, the protests, the fact that it's in Qatar, like all of these factors that are, are at play here at this World Cup that are reminding you that it isn't just club football. Right? And for the club football, the things in the background of the Super League or ownership of those clubs, the, the dark arts of those things. But the, if, if you watch about FIFA or been paying attention in any way in the last year, like the level of corruption, very much like the pressure, very much of what it means to be a hero at the World Cup, like all of that, is, is the dial is up. Speaking of being a hero for their country, it is Andreas Christensen, 0-0 with Tunisia. He played 90 minutes. That Denmark back four was really good. And Tunisia... You know, they didn't really do enough. That that was a pretty rough game, I have to be honest. The zero zero with, with Tunisia and, and Denmark. But again, Christensen's job is to defend and not allow goals in, and Tunisia didn't sniff it. Yeah. And then the two one loss to France, Christensen header goal coming from a corner. Yeah. And it was a rough miss, by the way, by our old friend Martin Brothwaite, who I, I guess is still a little bit of a villain, does play for Espanyol. So coming up at the, the end of next month when play resumes, he's gonna be a villain on the other side mm-hmm. of that Catalan Derby. But yeah, Christensen's header goal, a big moment for Denmark. They tied it up at the 1-1 at that point. And, you know, France had to find something through Mbappe. They had to fight for it and, and get their goal. But Christensen, yeah, I think he's been good throughout this tournament. Sturdy, steady. And it's very much like Dembele. It's like, oh, Christensen, what he does for Barca because he's kind of been injured so far. Mm-hmm. And, and now he's been healthy. But what he gives you is what you want him to be. And so far at this World Cup, he's been what Kules want him to be. So just bring that back to Barcelona, just like Dembele. And Barcelona have a good play on their hands. You know, Christensen, it was never, when he was acquired, neither, you know, neither the free price tag nor any kind of reputational stuff, you know, had us under the impression that you're not expecting a a spectacular kind of world-beating, game-changing player. If you get a good, solid, 
you know, shows up every day functional defender. That's that's fantastic. And I actually thought his I thought his goal was really good too because he reacted. I mean, I think there was like a little there was like a little bit of a deflection. It didn't look like it was by no means certain that it was going to get to him. And you know, just the way he pounced was you know, was really good. And I think particularly, you know, this relates more to Denmark, but you know, just watching them play, it doesn't look like they have a goal scorer. Like a guy, you know, I mean, there's Christian Eriksen can score goals or anything like that, but like they don't have a striker, which is very strange. So the funny thing is, is that kind of stuff that, you know, when it gets messy in the box and you're able to to pounce on something and, and put it in the goal, you know, especially for Denmark, I think what he did was of paramount importance. And if they're going to get out of the group and, you know, do anything of note, I mean, if not him, but it's going to have to be players like him because I really like their, their attack is about as blunt as is just yeah. about any I've seen from sort of a, a team that you would have any expectations of. So switching gears now to Argentina, as people can tell, if you're watching the video podcast wise, the magic is, is always done, so you don't notice. But you might have heard a puppy in the background for that first part, and time for her to take another nap. And then Emil's also now fashioning headphones so we can hear each other a little bit better. So, yeah, that's what happens when you come back from a little holiday or a little break. <laughs> uh, yeah, not everything perfect. And, and the puppy, certainly. She went with us, by the way, halfway across the country to visit some family. And it was a good adventure for her. But now that she's back home and by herself again without other dogs to play with, boy, is she being uh, not very behaved. In a way that, this is a weird transition, but for Argentina, uh, we'll say this. Saudi Arabia did not behave the way that Argentina expected them to in their opener, causing the upset 2-1 victory. Messi with a PK in the 10th, then two Saudi Arabia goals early in the first half. In the second half, rather, and then Christian Romero for Tottenham with some answering to do, certainly, in that game. Argentina just kind of breaking down, wilting. And then they went out and they took care of business, well, as much business as they could in the next one. 2 nothing win over Mexico. Took a while. Wasn't necessarily pretty. But Messi finally got through in the 64th. And then Enzo Fernandez, one of those players I did tell you to watch for Benfica as a defensive midfielder, he gets it from Messi and then puts it in 2 nothing. And Argentina did not hit the target in the entire first half, by the way, of that game against Mexico. And for somebody who watched a lot of CONCACAF and who watches a lot of Mexico, they have kind of been unwatchable. That's a little aside here. But yeah, they certainly have been a disappointment and putting a lot of it on the US to be the hope of CONCACAF region because Canada also were probably in arguably the toughest group, like with all the four teams kind of closest to each other, and they have already been spit out of this competition. But talking about Argentina, uh, interesting too to note for them that in the midst of all this, as is expected with Messi, it happens every single World Cup, whether it's in the, usually in the summer, of course. By the way, Netherlands scored their third, so they're up 3 nothing on Qatar, and they have, they have pretty much done and dusted, won the group. But anyway, news comes out that Messi to Inter-Miami this summer when his contract is up, is to happen. And then Busquets and Luis Suarez could join him. Messi camp has already shut that one down. But it's interesting it's coming from the Messi camp because you would have to admit that it's so weird with the Busquets news. We didn't really talk about him with Spain, but going back to the Busquets news that he would potentially go to into Miami or take that step to the U.S. and not play very much like uh, Iniesta or even like a, a Xavi when he left and went to Qatar as a player that they're not going to try some other European glory or some other European thing. They're just going to say, hey, I'm no longer at the top of my game at FC Barcelona. So it's time for, we'll say, the next the next step down, if you will, in terms of competition and expectations for me as a player. But the whole thing about Messi potentially joining him, I don't know about that. Because it's. I think now we're talking Inter-Miami 
We're talking PSG. We're talking Barcelona. And, and Messi clearly in this tournament is showing you he has a lot left to give at the top level, though. It turns out Netherlands' goal has been disallowed by VAR, but the result is not in question. In speaking about Busquets, I think that you can hit the nail on the head. For Busquets, I think his play has deteriorated. I mean, you and I have tried to diagnose this in various ways. I mean, it was he's not that he's ever been you know a, a hyper athlete, but you know whether in terms of athleticism, positioning, and whatever it is, his performances have declined at Barcelona to the to a point where, you know, workload that he's getting at Barca needs to be called into question. So I don't know that if he were leaving Barcelona, the only club he's ever been at, you know, where he's literally played the role that was named after him. He's had one job and he has defined that role, you know, kind of like few players have in in his generation. I don't know how, when you're in decline, do you leave, you know, you're able to leave that kind of role, go to another top European league and assume that you're going to transition into, I mean, by definition, it's going to be literally any role is going to be different. So yeah, from Busquets' perspective, it completely makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't know that he has in new surroundings, new teammates, everything. I don't know that he necessarily is geared to contribute to a significant winner. Now, I mean, yeah, you go to Miami and yeah, I guess you it's your eight figure retirement plan, your you know, golden handshake and you go hang out on South Beach or wherever, you know, Jupiter Island or wherever you want. And yeah, it's pretty good. It's good work if you can get it. The thing is with Messi, I think you also said that Messi is still like really, really, really Good. I mean, his his greatest his greatest sin has been not being you know peak Messi, which is you know essentially a brain melting life form. So you know, I mean, the fact that he's just merely looked like a mega superstar, and that's you know been held against him, it kind of yeah. tells you all you need to know. I mean, he's been incredible at PSG this year, and he has been incredible for Argentina this year. Yep. And I, I think for Messi. In this tournament, I'm going to kick the can down the down the road to talk about Messi because for Argentina, with that upset to Saudi Arabia, by the way, I mean, one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. And I think Messi, in terms of the optics of it, you could tell that if it wasn't coming from Messi, it kind of wasn't going to come. And that was the issue with Argentina coming in that shouldn't have been. Like I had said that this is the most balanced and and, yeah. and Argentina is built totally around Messi. So I think he did a good job, that being Messi and his PR team, whoever was required to do this job, to kind of sidestep, not say any blame, but say, hey, you know, Spain lost in 2010 in their opener. Others have done it before and then went on to win the World Cup. So it is kind of like we get punched in the mouth. Now you recuperate and you figure it out and they can still win their group, by the way. But and I mean, I think the, the one thing, look, I understand it's offside, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't count. Like you can say, you know, hey, you put it in the net, but it doesn't count because it was offside. But I think particularly there was the one, uh, one of the two Lautaro offside goals mm -hmm. where it was from the elbow down or from the bicep down, he was offside. And I know by the letter it was offside, but it was, that's one of those offside calls that flies in the face of the actual spirit of the rule. Because yeah, that was you, know, big, you either yeah. have rules there because you, you know, you want to unnecessarily restrict things, which is what offside feels like an overwhelming majority of the time. Like they, but like, it's, it's supposed to be there to, to prevent guys from, you know, genuinely getting an unfair advantage. Like the fact that a dude's like elbow is 
offside is not the it's not the reason why that's there. We're just yeah. this this is how you pay bureaucrats. But like, you know, so I do think it was very much if that's called in a particular way that keeps with the spirit of the game, I think Argentina are up two nil and I don't think Saudi Arabia backs down. I mean, maybe they even do get two goals and, you know, or whatever. But, I mean, that is the paper thinnest of margins that could have absolutely changed the complexion of that game. Never mind the, you know, Messi was half a step offside if he positions better. I mean, they had the ball in the net four times in the first half. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. I mean, they really, all the wind went out of their sails, seemingly at halftime or somewhere around the, you know, maybe 35, 40 minute mark. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of, uh, well, say winning your group, uh, because again, Argentina can still do that, even though they were shocked by Saudi Arabia. Yep. And speaking of winning the group, as I said, France is already uh, in the next round. At the moment, as we speak, Netherlands, they're going to win their group. Mm-hmm. And Brazil have pretty much already won their group as well. They got a 2 nothing win over Serbia to start. I, that was a really good game. I, I think Serbia, say 2 nothing is kind of almost unfair to Serbia because of how much they were up to that game. Richarlison, of course, obviously gets the headlines here with the brace and the overhead kick. Rafinha, though, did play 87 minutes. And it was interesting to me that, you know, and this kind of being the theme here, that we talk about the number 10 being dead, but the former Barcelona player in Neymar uh, is kind of, not say reshifting that narrative, but also former Barcelona player in Griezmann kind of reshifting that narrative. Because with Brazil, it's in a perfect world, as in the first game, it's Richarlison, Vinny Jr., Neymar, who, again, is out through the at least to the rest of the group stage. Not that Brazil need him. They've already qualified. And then Rafinha on the right. And then with France, you have, because Benzema went down, you have Giroud, Griezmann, Mbappe, and Dembele, not for some. So it's interesting to me that I think through the group stage, both of our favorites, that being Brazil and France, probably respectively, they're such heavy favorites playing in a 4-2-3-1, which is positionally very interesting to me. And then the 1-0 against Switzerland, I mean, Brazil obviously knew that if you get a result here, you win the group. That's it. Mm-hmm. Switzerland has been the best, the second best in that, even though they, they had a draw to start things. But Casemiro gets to go on the long shot. Rafinha should have had an assist, by the way, in this game. It w- would have been a great assist too, but Vinny Jr. missed it. And it's interesting in that then Switzerland game, how Brazil couldn't really create through the middle as well without Neymar. Mm-hmm. It's very much like for like, but defensively, they also lost nothing by putting Rodrigo up top with Richarlson. Defensively, Brazil have also been really, really good. They haven't had to use 39-year-old Danny Alves or anything, but Alexandro has been good. Thiago Silva has been good. Uh, Marquinhos has been as steady as, as we expect him to be. So Brazil are proving themselves to be favorites, but it's interesting to me that if Brazil are to win this tournament, I think at some point Rafinha is going to have to have his moment. And I think for his confidence, especially the way he entered into the World Cup, Again, that really big, important game down to 10 men. He gets that goal with the head that he needs to get and kind of changes the narrative, if you will, heading into the break. And if he's playing with confidence coming off a World Cup with Brazil and again has his moment and Brazil somehow um, either finishes first, second or third or whatever it may be, gets to the semifinal. That's again, just like Christensen, just like Dembele, a good thing for Barcelona. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about Rafinha and I mean, particularly as I've watched the two Brazil games, I've thought about the the Rafinha experience in Barcelona and he has intermittently looked really good but I mean I do think he of late like you know he's he's tapered off a bit and it would be wonderful to see him play himself into what is clearly his world class potential but basically not on Barca's time like it would be amazing if he could do that and um and then essentially just come back feeling I mean ideally if he 
if Brazil win the World Cup, I do feel like Rafinha is the kind of player that could really sort of benefit from that because I feel like so much of what he does and I mean, I feel like that position in general, confidence and self-assuredness and and that element of it, I think is a huge, huge part of it because a lot of it, you know, on the wing, there are these sorts of one-on-one duels that you need to win. You need to get past a guy and then, you know, tactics and everything and technique coming after that. But I mean, I feel like he just having a good World Cup, and ideally, though, if Brazil can win the thing, he would be really well positioned to use this tournament as a as a big springboard, almost in the in a in a way similar to how we talked about Dembélé. But I think Dembélé is coming in to this tournament in better form. Yeah, and now shifting to the Netherlands. Speaking of better form, again, Frankie de Jong just had a goal here. It's like the 80th minute for Netherlands, up two nothing over Qatar. And Senegal, Ecuador, though, that has probably been the game to watch. No Barcelona players there, but Ecuador tied it up in the 67th. And then three minutes later in the 70th, Senegal come to answer through Koulibaly, the old Barcelona target, and now the Chelsea center back. So, yeah, I mean, that, that went back and forth. And that's what happens, though, through three group stage games. Like Ecuador, they'd become kind of a darling. I mean, I thought their game against Netherlands was great. And I'm like looking at Ecuador players, and all of a sudden they're going to be out of the group stage. Now the narrative switches. That's how it goes. But the narrative for Netherlands, was that you know this group was one they should win and a bit of pressure just like Belgium was kind of on them uh, with Senegal and Ecuador kind of looming. But it seems like Netherlands taking care of business. And one of the big reasons, their best player, this isn't just a, coming from a Kool-Aid. We go back to the same thing with, with Denmark and Christensen. Frankie de Jong in Netherlands, it's, it's not been great. They have not looked amazing, I think, at any one point, at any point in this tournament. But Frankie has been their best player by far. 2-0 Senegal win, 90 minutes for Frankie, 28 for Memphis. And then 1-1 against Ecuador, 90 more minutes for Frankie. And that one was the 1-1 with Ecuador. More credit deserved to Ecuador, as I said, than taking anything away from the Dutch there. Yeah. Frankie had more tackles with nine than any other player at the World Cup. Two total shot attempts by the Netherlands, though, was the problem. And only six touches in the Ecuador box. Some of that does go on Memphis, by the way, uh, in that game against Ecuador, because he did play there. He came on in the second half, but never really made an impact other than the flick in the 73rd for Gakpo, and Gakpo shot it wide, but it was also offside, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway, <laughs> even though it was a pretty good confidence from Memphis. Again, as we speak, Netherlands drew Frankie de Jong up 2 nothing over Qatar. So again, I think it's a little bit of roast and thorns here for Frankie and Memphis. As far as what Barcelona's January transfer business is, we're going to do that on Friday, so I'm not really hashing it out now, but Memphis getting, getting a way out or finding an exit is a big part of that, and I think as we've seen throughout time, I mean, you and I know with the NBA, I think of Kawhi Leonard, but that situation was 100 times worse or 1,000 times worse than what we're talking about with Barca and Memphis. But certainly, yeah, Memphis being hurt for all this time and then showing up and coming on in the opener to play 28 minutes. It's puzzling. It, it's, it's, it's a question mark. But I, I understand why, just like Araujo, who has not been named to any Uruguay team sheet so far, but is still kind of available and trying to work his way back for this World Cup in Uruguay camp. Players do want to play in the World Cup. Not that they don't want to play for their club, but you know they do want to play in the World Cup and they're going to fight through injury a bit harder to do that. And of course, a club isn't going to like that because it could put them at risk. But Memphis, as far as even trying to... I don't know if he needs to showcase himself, but yeah, showcasing himself on the biggest stage if he has some kind of moment here in, in now in the knockout rounds, then maybe he can secure a move a little more easily. So I, I definitely agree with that because I think with Memphis, the, the two things that that you want to see is, I mean, the by far the, fir- the first thing that you want to see is that he's that he's healthy, that he's just able to move around well and, and everything like that. 
And I think with him, and I realize this is something of a legacy concern at this point, because even with all the sort of the shuffling and the upheaval and things like that that have happened at Barca, you know, in terms of attitude and just presence in the locker room, he's been, you know, by all accounts from from what you hear and what you, you know, what you read and you see his interactions with people, apparently, you know, I'm guessing he's been fine, like, because there's nothing in the press has come out that he's been... So that's kind of the thing. Is his head right and is his body right? I mean, it seems it seems as though his head is right. And yeah, if you can see him put together, not even a couple of 90s, but just a couple of decent 70s and where either he scores or he just, he looks like himself, I could very much see the, see the pathway out for him. I don't know what the price tag would be, or I don't know what the, I mean, I, I guess if anything, it would just be another kind of clear the decks, lighten yep. the payroll load type transaction maybe, yeah i mean maybe seven to ten mil but again his contract is up anyway so it's not like it's yeah uh, or, or next season so it's not like trying to reinvent the wheel here with that kind of transfer you're just kind of giving this player a way out um even if it's a paid loan like what if he goes for for you know for the rest of the season for six yeah. months on a, on a two million euro loan uh, you could see that too oh but, exactly. yeah uh, well and and yeah and what's to say of de young that de young goes into this break in really good form and again, he's just really important and really, really good for the Netherlands. And it's I've been a broke record, but I don't have many negative things to say about any inconsistency with the Barca players. Like their teams are doing well, and those players are an important part of those teams. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we can even extend it to the yeah, like it's what did we say before, like kind of Barca plus Messi sort of thing. But I don't know that you can pin any of the suboptimal results. I guess we'll say because they're not all necessarily defeats, but. I don't know that you can pin any of them on a Barca player or are there any necessarily any glaring, you know, mistakes that are made. I mean, I guess you can say in Spain, Germany, you know, maybe here or there, but by and large, I mean, I don't think, I don't think a Barca player has really meaningfully put a foot wrong or, you know, kind of left the door wide open and invited disaster, which beyond returning everyone home healthy and ideally some of them with winner's medals, that's, I guess, you know, the, the best you can hope for. I mean, you hope if, first and foremost, you obviously hope no one's body or any part of their body or ligament or tendon goes in the tank. But secondly, like you, you just want them to return sort of psychologically whole as well. You know, you don't want them sort of carrying some sort of like national tragedy on their, on their conscience, uh, you know, when yeah. they come home. Well, reminder, all the teams that, or any of the teams that might get to the final or the semifinal, what have you, they're going to get about a week and a half until they're right back in playing yeah. in club football, right? Like, again, problematically, having this Winter World Cup is not going to be great no matter what, no matter how well players do or no matter, even if they can avoid injury, it's still like the, the, the load is still, as Thomas Muller always said, like just too much for players. And speaking of, again, Araujo. Yeah, I hate to, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, meant to, I hate to so nakedly root against a couple of the, the Barca players, but... You know, the the good thing is, I mean, presumably, I, I don't think Uruguay will get through. So hopefully they can we can get Araujo just back on a couch for a while. And and things that are was, not looking ideal for Poland either. So let's... Uh, well, who knows about that? Because, I mean, that's that's what we're doing next. The last two we have here. Yeah. Uruguay, is there with South Korea. Not great from Luis Suarez, former mm-hmm. Barcelona player, as you'll know. Third all-time goal scorer. And Ronald Araujo, not named to the Mass Day squad. Same thing. Araujo, not named to the Mass Day squad for the 2 nothing loss to Portugal either. And now Uruguay, as you mentioned, need a result against Ghana and hoping that South Korea don't get a result against Portugal, which Portugal, they've already won the group. They're the other third team that has advanced after two group stages, two match days. Again, Netherlands taking care of business now, booking their ticket by the time, I mean, by the time this is done and we've already recorded this. 
So, yeah, I mean, Uruguay, it might be time for Alain Navarro to get some rest and no issues there for me. I'll talk a little bit more about Uruguay uh, in probably, again, one of those. Maybe I'll have a video later in the week mm-hmm. about that. And then the last is po- Poland. Mm-hmm. And interesting to note that Argentina still likely need a result of some kind against Poland to go through past Saudi Arabia. And I did, again, pick Mexico which picks, to finish second in that group. That was wrong. And Poland, that 0-0 with Mexico, really ugly match. Again, arguably the worst one of the tournament. It's definitely there in like the top four or five mm-hmm. worst that we've seen so far. Poland barely touched the ball. Six total shots on target, but again, Mexico weren't good either. And then Poland go out, take care of business against Saudi Arabia, 2 nothing win there. Scored That being Lewandowski, scored Poland second and his first of the World Cup. And he took it away from the Saudi Arabian player, finished it without too much resistance because of the awful, awful mistake. So it's not like it was an amazing goal, but for him, as he said later, it was an important goal. You know, and the, the, you, you are, again, when you talk about that A tier of player, and arguably maybe the B tier, but the A tier of player, which Lewandowski is in, obviously a guy fighting for the Ballon d'Or every year. They need those moments for their legacy. And I think as much as they talk about the team thing, and Poland very much is team-wise Lewandowski and his success is their success. But there are certain markers in a player's career that you say, hey, I did that. When you hang up your boots and say, okay, at least, even if you don't brag about it, I was able to accomplish this thing I want to accomplish. And getting a, a goal at the World Cup was on Lewandowski's list. You could tell. You could tell the relief that he felt, especially having missed that earlier penalty as well. And his penalty kicking, kind of concerning, that being Lewandowski's. But I don't really take that away from, from anything. But yeah, so for Poland, I mean, who, who knows? They could shock Argentina, and then Argentina are out, and Poland's through. And then, I mean, I think for Kool-Aid's, this is a fun thing that we end this with. For Kool-Aid's, it's funny because so many are going to be rooting for Argentina and Messi. Because oh, again, yeah. Messi, you know, is Barcelona. But Lewandowski is Barcelona's player right now. It does feel odd because it's like, oh, I have to, can I pick one, right? It's like... Well, it's it's Christmas is coming up, so it's going to get kind of interesting in different households. But is it dad or stepdad or right? Like, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I kind of I guess I uh, already walked you through a little bit of my internal emotional negotiations, which is uh, I yes on just on reflex on instinct, I root for Argentina and Messi in all of these tournaments, and I am able to reconcile with myself rooting against Barca's current number one goal threat. By both ensuring, by saying that I'm rooting for ensuring his health and rest, and also, you know, this is less kind, but if Poland get through, I mean, I I don't really see a pathway to anything meaningful for them. You know, like they're so. I mean, I, I feel like the I feel like the ceiling for Argentina is just more meaningful here than than it is for Poland. Yeah. And and I don't think it's crazy. I'm I'm the same boat. I think so many cool A's are. I think. It takes a, I mean, it takes a really, there's a special fan or to be able to kind of unlock their brain and say, mm-hmm. when a player plays for my club, I root for them. And then when they're gone, I, I've disconnected. And I think you can do that with certain players, right? Like when Memphis, if Memphis leaves like to Manchester United, yeah. he was fine at Barcelona. I rooted for him for Barcelona. But mm-hmm. when he's not in a Barca shirt, I'm so sorry, but that's it. But for Messi, Messi was Barcelona in the same way for oh, so, exactly. so long. So it's like, and I've just known, I've had to root against Lewandowski for so many years now because <laughs> he would ruin, like it's so many times I go, Lewandowski, can you please not make half my listeners stop listening because Barcelona are the Champions League? Yep. Could you please relax here? And he doesn't. And he just kept doing it for Bayern Munich for so many years. So, I mean, I had to root against him for so long and now two and a half months of, of rooting for him and but rooting for him through Barcelona's success, through Xavi, through Pedri, mm. through Gabi, through Balde, through the hope that is the future, that is players that 
you know, other than yes, Pedri played for Los Palmas. I know that, but he's always obviously already a Barcelona player, right? Yeah. And that's where his great success has come. So for Messi, yeah, his great success will always have been at Barcelona, and we're always going to want him to do well because after years and years and years of defending him against the the PR machine of Cristiano Ronaldo, and you know, I didn't talk about Portugal here, but. That whole thing yesterday where Bruno Fernandez scores and Cristiano Ronaldo, instead of congratulating him, is yelling at the refs. That was my goal. You know, I got my head on it. I got a tip on it. And you know, I, whole thing. I, <laughs> given, given all I've sort of pieced together of the man over the years, I have to say I actually I applaud Cristiano's restraint in trying to claim that goal yesterday. Like, I'm surprised yeah, I, that he kept his shirt on and didn't do the little, like, see you hop right 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 yeah I, I feel like for that goal yesterday i think he, even when he jumped he didn't really fully complete the spin teammates were already on him a little bit too quickly but yeah we didn't really do portugal they've already booked their ticket too so i'll probably have to talk about portugal uh, later on in this tournament the other note here i guess we'll cover that on friday a little bit in more detail but ruben nevish who has been because of jorge mendez constantly to barcelona yeah. i don't think there's anything not to say that <laughs> the old wise man's transfer tales do not look at the World Cup to buy a player and do not look at the World Cup to not buy a player, right? I think it works both ways. Yeah. And Ruben Neves, I would have to take that advice on the, on the ladder there because he has not had a World Cup where I would, where if I'm Barcelona, I'm saying, okay, that's our replacement for Busquets. Nothing in this tournament has indicated that from Ruben Neves, obviously. Then the other notes here, USA drew both England and Wales. So they're now fighting for their lives in a few hours. Again, by the time you hear this, you know whether or not I'm, I'm having a pretty sad it's a solid night um, because the U.S. has been good enough to move on. And if they don't, and then England obviously are, are still floating around there. But as good as they were against Iran, against the USA, they kind of went down to the USA's level. And then the U.S. went up a little bit to England's level. And I think that's kind of what you saw there. And then, uh, as I said, France were good. Brazil were good. Some of these favorites are good. And then the last final note here is that Morocco, with a win over Belgium, who only snuck by a not-so-great Canada one nothing, are looking like one of the winners of the tournament. Abde has just 25 total minutes and a 0-0 draw with Croatia. But that draw with Croatia, and then again, the win over Belgium, Morocco have probably been the the best, not what we expected from them team. I even have... Yeah, they're definitely the surprise of the of the group stage, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I even picked them I guess fourth in Saudi the Arabia as well, but yeah. Right. But I mean, Saudi Arabia might not even move on. Morocco yeah. are, I mean, very, very, very likely are they moving on because again, now Morocco only have to take to get by Canada now. Canada team is already out. So Croatia have been really good, uh, but Belgium have been a disappointment in the same way, right? Whenever you have a one surprise, there's a disappointment. And Morocco in particular, I have to go, they're one of those teams where, I mean, like I obviously, you can't watch every game. You can't focus yeah. on every game. You can't think about every game. So Morocco, I've had a half an eye on this whole tournament. I, I think I've only seen part of one and a half games. So I want, they're one of those teams I want to go back and look and think about because their defensive setup is been really interesting to me where they have just an abundance of uh, very much like Shabby's doing with Alonzo and Alba and, and Balde. They just have an abundance of very similar players, mm. but defensively they've been really, really solid and arguably the best defense that we have seen at the world cup so far, just organized and, and, and right on every margin. Yeah. Uh, I admittedly haven't. Yeah. Of the, of the teams that I've not been able to see much of, it has been Morocco and I'm trying to think who else is it. Uh, there's, I was just looking recently, and there was a team that, for me, it, it feels like their World Cup has not yet started because I've personally not laid eyes on on one of their games. Yeah, so I think it was Morocco. Oh, and I've actually not seen Australia either. I've 
I've watched highlights of their games, but uh, at this point, just what I've been reading about Morocco, and I mean, just even looking at the stats, and you know, I've watched like extended highlights of of each game, and what you're mm-hmm. saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I haven't I don't have a large enough sample size that I've that I've seen to you know make any kind of educated sta- statement about it, but the limited bits that I've seen do line up with essentially what you're describing. And it's fascinating now. So they are, yeah, it's, so it's them and, is it them and Canada? Yeah, it's them in Canada now, right? Canada team that has just not been up to it. Again, not doing CONCACAF proud, just like Costa Rica against Spain. So yeah, CONCACAF, definitely the federation that's taking the biggest L in, in this World Cup, for sure, for sure. Uh, okay, so the last team- Canada looked so good in that, in that first game against Belgium. And then you come out and get on the board two minutes in in your second game and you figure, all right, they... Yep. They worked out the kinks, and then, ooh, buddy, it was, it was not great after that. Croatia doing Croatia things. Okay, and final thing here before we wrap up. In the last week, the Femini had a huge game at the, the Camp Nou last Thursday, and that was against Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. It was a 3 nothing win. And, again, if you didn't even watch the highlights, do watch the highlights mm-hmm. because Claudio Pina, as far as transfer stuff on the women's side of stuff, she has been such a difference maker this year, and Barcelona are proving that they were wise to keep her and yep. let Jenny Hermoso go. And I know that saying full well that Jenny may have already made her choice. We saw better Instagram posts and mm-hmm. what I've heard too, that she'd already made her choice on her own that she wasn't going to come back, that she wanted to do the next phase of her mm-hmm. career. But even if she had to want to come back, kind of like the Xavi Busquets situation, like yeah. apparently Xavi's the one pushing for that contract renewal. If it was a club saying, hey, Jenny, we still want you around. If it had been this year, then likely they had the money where she would have been around. But in in the case of Claudio Pina, there was this you know moment where she went on loan to Sevilla. Yep. Was she going to get a time and minutes when she came back? Swala and all those other attacking options. And Pina has been as good as advertised. Like we started to know about her at sixteen, and yep. honestly, she was one of those first players where I was like, oh, there are you know because when it comes to youth football on the women's side of things, because of the amount of money, especially in the U.S., mm-hmm. how the U.S. is one of the best teams because of the amount of money in the women's game, so many of them might even choose to do other things or teeter out. So yeah. you know, looking at a U16 team or U18 team, mm-hmm. some of those players, no matter what, around the world, like they might choose. I mean, we're talking even Spain, Spain youth players or yeah. France youth players. They might choose to come to the U.S. to play college soccer, get a scholarship, and just mm-hmm. you know kind of leave and, and go about it that way, even though they were selected to a youth team at, at national team level. And they might choose to do that. So when it comes to the variance of young prodigies, if you will, of the mm-hmm. women's game, there's even more variance where it's just, it's not, you, you can't really trust the player until she is 18 or 20 or 21 and, and <laughs> has completely committed to being a full professional. Pina was kind of the exception to that rule, if you will, where I remember seeing her when she was 16 and I was like, oh, I think that's a women's prodigy. I think that's what that yeah. is. And she has so far proven to be as such, again, still in her early 20s and still she getting just better. turned 20. Yeah, and she's just getting better. So I, I just want to end the show so, kind of by singing the praise of Claudio Pena. So before we started recording, I was actually writing about that night, that game, and basically gushing, going through stuff I've previously written about Claudia Pena and yeah. trying to... So yeah, when she was 12, 30, at the 12-13 level, she appeared in 20 games when she was 11 at the age 12-13 level. She appeared in 20 games and scored 100 goals. She's the youngest ever player to play for a senior Barca team in an official match. And I guess I've referred to her as the most uh, bloodthirsty 
in a team full of apex predators and the most uh, most innately ruthless attacker on murderers row and it somehow all still feel so i was at the game on thursday as well so again it, the, the funny thing is like the the attendance was only about 47,000 this time but they hadn't opened but only half of the seats were open everything that was open was packed so but everyone was kind of had pretty rockin' seats so the the funny thing is I checked. She's listed at five foot five. If she is five foot five, I am a female gymnast. She is as tall as the corner flag. And like, I actually, I wish I had taken a picture. At one point she was standing. She is as tall as the five foot tall corner flag. And it's bonkers to me that she is, she is so, I don't know. She's so strong, but like fast. And yet like, yeah, I mean, she, her center of her center of gravity, her center of balance is unrivaled. I mean, it's that one. That's almost messy esque, just in her, yeah. just how small she is, but how unbelievably difficult she is to to supplant. Yeah, that I was, mean, there's no it's a, a messy comparison is unfair to her, obviously, or to anybody. Oh, of course, yeah, um, especially across even the, the gender divide. But for Pina, it's a positioning that, yeah. to me, and when you say messy esque, where you go, where does she play? And against Bayern Munich, that was the difference. Where where does she play? Is she the center forward? Eh. Is she? Yeah, maybe. Is she on the wing? Eh. Maybe. But is she this just attacking magnanimous threat in the middle of the yes. field that it both attacks a trend, attention, but is also her own wrecking ball, whether with dribbling, with long shots, yep. whatever she wants to do, combining her footwork. And I think that is a testament also to this this Barcelona team that that kind of gives you hope to say like, oh, this generation, this mm-hmm. great generation that that won the Champions League final, having they, they lost to Lyon, then they win the final, then they lose the final again to Lyon. It was at this three-year chapter where that's mm-hmm. the story of that team. The Because especially with Itana, Itana kind of having her injuries this year, as well as, of course, Alexi Buteas is mm-hmm. likely still out for the rest of the season. You know, when you have, you know, these, these again, incredible players and you feel like, oh, I know they were young, they're in their mid-20s still, and obviously Alexi Buteas pushing on 30 now. But, you know, was that era going to be over with Jenny and yep. Swallow and all that stuff? The answer clearly is no, because when you have Claudio Pina, you do need some of these players. You need like, what, three or four, five, six, seven of your players to be these killers. And yep. Pina being a killer, like Alexia is, like Aitana is, like Patry is, you say, okay, this project, I mean, I, I think to say that winning the Champions League final was its ceiling, obviously winning a treble means you've hit your ceiling, yep. but that ceiling is possible again, right? That yeah. that you want to believe that Barcelona is still chasing down Lyon as opposed to the inverse where Lyon is going to separate themselves again and Barcelona are going to fall back into the background in this yeah. mass amount of teams in Chelsea and Bayern Munich and the rest who are kind of exceeding and coming to that level. Well, I think what's been absolutely incredible is, so Claudia Pina has, I mean, she in my mind is the nailed on sort of superstar next. So, But then they also added... Gese, who shared the Pichichi with Oshuala last year. So mm-hmm. they had one of the top two goal scorers. So they just went and got the other one. You know, Lucy Bronze is, you know, just an absolute rock at left back. And she allows uh, Rolfo to play on the right, where, I mean, that back line of Rolfo, Paredes, Leon, and Lucy Bronze is just hilariously stacked and and that's not even yeah you don't even mention 
Patri, who I think you and I spoke about it, you used a really good, and I was actually going to include this in something I wrote for next week and uh, credit you with it. You described Alexia as inevitable. And in a, in a weird way, like Patri, while being less overtly spectacular, maybe, is every bit the anchoring force and inevitable force. She has played, she's kind of slid seamlessly into the Alexia role, which would have been the most unenviable pair of shoes to have to slip on. And mm -hmm. she's not trying to be Alexia, but she has, you know, worn that, she's kind of accepted that mantle. And she absolutely is the steadying force and the the midfield, the brain and the heart, you know what I mean? Along with Aitana and I mean, there's just so many of them that are playing well. I mean, like Kira Walsh is astoundingly good. And just, you know, you we you can go this far with it, and then she comes up. And she's, you know, as good yeah. as anyone. Well, I think I've almost done a disservice to, to Walsh because when she initially was signed, again, because she comes from the UK, because yep. she came for the number she did, which was breaking the transfer uh, mm -hmm. record, then it was like, oh, there's nothing she can do to assimilate. And then people watched the first one or two matches and it just, it didn't look like it clicked right away. But again, that was now months ago. And now that Walsh has perfectly fit in and assimilated yeah. just fine, right? Like we, we aren't revisiting that. So I'm glad we were able to. And I didn't do my due justice on getting a Femini this year, just because again, the men's team are having the quote unquote resurgence that they are. Hopefully that continues on. Um, but, I've yeah, been to every home game thus far. And uh, so I will, uh, I can always report back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So again, the Femini, their story, especially in the Champions League, unlike the men, is not yet written in any way this season. And it is one of those situations where, yes, with the Femini, it revs up as the season goes on, as they're fighting closer for those trophies. Because again, in their Spanish domestic campaign, it's it, Real Madrid are still not there as much as they would mm -hmm. hope to be. They're not there. Atletico Madrid, uh, they got a PK. It looked like they were there for two seconds. And then Lucy Braun scores her first, and Barcelona just all over Atletico Madrid. Yep. So to say that is that the, the derby of, of Spanish women's football, I think is now shifted clearly to El Clasico from that Atletico Madrid Barcelona rivalry, which is what was the cornerstone of the Spanish women's division for, for the last decade, in the last decade, if you will. Yep. And now that has shifted and will shift continually with uh, El Clasico first against Real Madrid. All right. So that'll wrap it up. We have more World Cup talk coming up and some other fun stuff, uh, especially we're actually talking a little bit about the finances too. I know, I know really exciting stuff mm -hmm. Friday, but I've got some stuff in the works as well as, as I keep promising, but I, I mean it, I do have some stuff. So I know Twitter is exploding at the moment, but do give us a follow on Twitter. Just make sure you're there for the updates on Instagram. I'll also try to make sure I remember to do that on uh, an Instagram. If not also on YouTube, I do kind of put the updates there. And then again, our Facebook group, you'll see it there as well, all across, whatever the updates I have for you. Uh, so I just got some stuff in the works as well as some content as always. So that'll wrap it up. Follow him, Emil. Again, he's known better even for his writing. So make sure you read his stuff by following him down in the description below. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram too, at the Barcelona pod, close Facebook group, Patreon. I already mentioned all that stuff, YouTube as well. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, Barca. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.